Hey, what's up, football fans? This is Matt Miller. You are listening to Stick to Football, year-round NFL Draft podcast. My co-host, Connor Rogers, with me every week. Connor, man, we have a great show today. We're going to take everybody around the league like we always do, talk about the college football and NFL things that we saw that affect the draft. We're going to fix the Cleveland Browns, which is going to take all show, I would imagine, because that is a, a dumpster fire. And then we'll close it out like we do every week with our intern Kennedy coming on to ask us the questions people send in on iTunes and Twitter. So, dude, I'm I'm excited to jump into this. And I know that, that you know, you are in the office on Sundays now watching all the NFL games. And I was on the road this week scouting Texas OU. So we have like a, a good cross section of things to talk about. Yeah, we definitely do. Obviously, a lot is going on. I think the quarterback landscape in college football in terms of the draft is really shooken up, you know, really shooken up right now because obviously so many teams need quarterbacks, but when it comes down to it, a lot of these guys are showing that the you know, the learning curve is is a little bigger than we expected than what we thought coming out of summer. So that's going to be really interesting. I don't think a lot of their stocks are going to be infected because the demand is just so high. So we'll definitely get into all of that. I think this running back class continues to have risers every single weekend. So we want to really run through the guys that we haven't talked about. We, you've heard Saquon Barkley. You've heard Darius Geis, Ronald Jones. But you know what about guys like Damian Harris and obviously Bryce Love? So we have a lot to break down there. You saw Baker Mayfield live this weekend. You know You got to size him up. You got to see what makes him such an interesting polarizing prospect. So we want to get into that. And of course, we will definitely get into a couple of things from the NFL weekend as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. And what you said right there, it, it's weird how I shouldn't say weird. I, don't, I say that word too damn much. It's fascinating that the draft is, you know, there's like 500 players that we'll probably really focus on as we get closer to the draft. But it's all about the quarterbacks. And it's that way for us. It's that way for NFL teams. And especially I think this year, everyone was so excited about the the big three quarterbacks of Josh Rosen at UCLA and Sam Darnold at USC and Josh Allen at Wyoming. And because everyone was so excited about their potential, fans came in expecting that these guys were going to be perfect prospects. And they've all struggled to some extent this year. I actually think it's a good thing that they're struggling because we can see how they respond to adversity every week. Like, I want to see what Sam Darnold does after he throws an early interception. I want to see what Josh Allen does when his offensive line is shit and can't protect him. I want to see Josh Rosen have to battle a little bit. And the fact that, you know, like Darnold's offensive line has been decimated by injuries. Rosen is playing on an incredibly young UCLA team. Allen is playing on an incredibly young Wyoming team. So I, I think like the thing that I would hope that our listeners get is that quarterback evaluation is like what they do on Saturdays is a small, small part of the puzzle. And I know that sounds crazy, but it really is, especially you know, when you when you have a bad supporting cast or you can't extrapolate plays and, and project them to an NFL offense. So I, I think that's why fans are getting frustrated. And, and maybe it's a small you know, minority of fans, but it, it seems like a majority because of, you know, the way Twitter works. You get you guys get frustrated because we're so high on these quarterbacks still, but so is the NFL. So we'll see. I mean, it, there's a lot of time left, but. Like you said, I got to see Baker Mayfield this weekend. I did not get to see Luke Falk play until I got home yesterday. Um, I, I had to go back and watch the game against Cal, man. I, th I think every Luke Falk negative became an interception. You know, like everything that he doesn't do well, Cal jumped all over. And I, I think what stands out to me, I mean, outside of the scheme concerns, I don't know how you feel about Mike Leach's scheme, but Man, he just holds the ball forever back there, and, and DBs have a great opportunity to jump routes because of that. He certainly does, and you see how limited his arm is when he does that because he, you know, defenders are diagnosing where he's going with the football. And, and Falk is one of those guys that we got a lot of questions about over summer, and I said, man, there's a reason he went back for his senior year. You look at his traits and his skill set, and he's just built like a number two quarterback, a guy that is going to survive in the NFL by his brain, his IQ, taking care of the football, being accurate in the short to intermediate stuff. But if you come him, come in and ask him to be the guy and do things out of his realm, whether it's the deeper kind of throws you know, outside the hashes, whether it's making a play outside the pocket, I just don't really see a starting quarterback type level prospect here. 
And this year, especially the last couple of games where his, you know, his accuracy has dipped a little bit, especially in that system. You're talking about somebody that the first couple of weeks is well over 70% every single game. And now he's sinking well under 70% and turning the ball over. And like you said, Matt, just not taking care of the ball. And when you're not a mobile quarterback, but you also have a limited arm and you're putting up big college numbers, I think you kind of have to go back and look at, well, what is the system doing for him? Where can he excel at the next level? And I think he's just completely fallen out of the picture. You know, we always talk about, obviously, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and then we get into the Baker Mayfields, Mason Rudolph, and that's where Luke Falk comes into play. I don't even see him in that mold anymore. I think he's kind of a third-tier prospect right now. Yeah, I still have him as a second tier, and I I think... Like one thing that's really hard when you do what we do and you evaluate players and you rank them and say, okay, this is a list of the top 500 players in the draft. That list doesn't work for every scheme, right? So like if you are a West Coast offense, like a true West Coast offense, I could see teams liking Luke Falk because he said he doesn't have a big arm, but he has at least accuracy. He could throw some anticipation and he is incredibly intelligent. Now, so if you know that, like he could be an Andy Dalton type guy. I really think he could not a second round pick because I think Dalton was more mobile. Um, you know, he had ran some some option stuff at TCU. I wouldn't be surprised if Falk ends up being thought of in that in that mold for some teams. Now, if Bruce Arians is back as the head coach of the Cardinals next year, you're not drafting Luke Falk because he's he's not a fit at all for what you do offensively. Uh, but I, I do think that's like a an undertold part of draft evaluation is that sometimes like a guy might be ranked 20th on our board and he's not a good fit for whatever team just because of scheme or you know personnel things like that so with Falk I think that'll be the interesting part of it um Baker Mayfield you know it's it's it was heartbreaking um as a Texas fan to watch that game and I do owe you know Kennedy and I had a bet last week uh I have to buy an OU shirt and and chug a natty light and video it and post it, and I will be doing that very soon. But uh, having the ability to see Baker in person is, he's impressive, man. And and I thought the Texas game plan was uh, a good one to try to bottle him up. He's just so slippery when pressured in the pocket. He just has this ability to get away. You know, there were two times that I felt like he was, like, sacked. He was corralled in the backfield and got away from it. And we also saw him make downfield throws from the pocket, which is so big for, I think, his evaluation of can he play from the pocket? Can he be an NFL-style quarterback? I saw him making a lot of those types of throws while still being a dangerous runner. So Baker Mayfield, I still have in the second round. I wish he were a little taller, but you know, I remember saying the same thing about Russell Wilson, and now I kick myself every day for not just sticking to my guns with him. So I'm not going to back down on Becker just because he's only six foot tall. Yeah, I mean, you have to love the feel he has in the pocket when he he feels the rush off the edge. And like you said, slippery is like the best word for him because you watch him get out of things and he's so much stronger than people realize because they're like, oh, he's, you know, maybe six feet tall. He looks like he's 220 pounds and just and I don't want to, you know, obviously say he's Russell Wilson. But that same style where it's like, man, how did he get away from the grasp of a defensive tackle or, you know, an outside linebacker? It's just incredible time and time again. And one area where I do see him similar to one of the top quarterbacks last year, and it's Deshaun Watson, is when these guys leave the pocket, their eyes stay downfield. They don't just tuck it and run or charge straight ahead or look up and make it, you know, a wild throw. They keep their head up and they look downfield. And with Baker, it's so fun to watch because Mark Andrews is just always seems to be open in those situations. When you have a guy that's 6'5", 254, he just finds his way open in the middle of the field for, or, you know, towards the sideline when Baker starts to break out of the pocket. So it's been a lot of fun to watch Baker Mayfield this year because I think we had questions. Hey, he's going back for a senior year. He lost Samaji P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. That was a run-first kind of football team last year, a team that really chewed up a lot of yards on the ground. This year we've seen you know him take over as a passer when needed, and it's been very impressive. I like Baker Mayfield a lot. I think he's a top-three quarterback in this class. I really wow. do. I still like Darnold and Rosen and what they can be, but nobody can sell me that anyone is more ready to be on the field after those two 
you know, than Baker Mayfield. Uh, it's as simple as that for me. I know, you know, he's going to be a little older. He's going to measure in short. But if you want to put a guy on the field next year and ask him to make plays, I mean, I would be comfortable taking Baker Mayfield, especially in round two. And that's exactly where I think he goes next year. You might be the first man to, to really throw it out there, you know, to, to jump up on the table and say, you know, that he's a... I'm a believer. And I wasn't after what, over summer. So when we got, you know, a lot, all his, uh, all 22 from last year, I watched. And there was times where I'm like, man, he misses throws, but I love the playmaking, you know, the flash in the pan. And there's a lot of good here. But I wasn't fully a believer. Then I watched this year and just the plays that he can make. And I like his moxie. Like, I I know people are concerned about the whole running away from the cops incident. I think he's a leader. I don't think I think the off field problems are really exaggerated. I think he loves football and can command a huddle and can be the guy. It's just there's a lot of things here that make him feel like an outlier. It, just because he's six feet tall, you're like, man, that scares me. And I totally get that because look at the track record of that working out. But at some point, you add up all the positives and, you know, what you can do with him. And you have an outlier. Yeah, and I thought he really did improve from throwing from the pocket this year. Like you said, when you watch last year's All-22, it's like, man, this kid leaves the pocket to set up throws. And that's a that's a huge no-no for me. Like, if I see a quarterback doing that, like, obviously, if you're flushed, you're flushed. You got to get out of the pocket and make plays. But if you're if you're not and you're just doing it because either you're short or because you're not comfortable in the pocket or, or you don't have the arm to throw from the pocket, that's when you really, I think, get concerned. But I like the way that he has developed in that area. So like his, you know, for him, the off field grade is going to be enormous, <laughs> pretty obviously, just because of, like you said, you know, he's got the getting tackled by cops in Fayetteville, Arkansas for trying to run from him. And, you know, then the being a smaller guy playing in spread schemes at Texas Tech and at Oklahoma, those can be pretty big questions for him. Uh, let's let's talk about the running backs. You kind of mentioned this at the top and. I put out a new big board uh, Monday of this week, and I did not have Bryce Love in the top 10 running backs. And I, I, I said on Twitter, you know, hey, I haven't had a chance to to really dig in on him yet. And I would rather not rank a guy that I haven't that I haven't watched enough to have a feel for. I've seen the highlights, obviously. I, I've seen him while watching, you know, other other players, but I haven't I haven't studied Bryce Love. The numbers are ridiculous. Like what he does insane every Saturday. And it's it's sad that he doesn't get the, I think, national love because it is the Pac-12 and he does play, you know, late at night. But like the way that he has stepped in for Christian McCaffrey is is unreal. I mean, he already has over 1,300 yards rushing this year. In seven games. Already. He has nearly 1,400 yeah. yards in the ground, 11 touchdowns in seven games. And what's really impressive to me is for a guy that's probably under 200 pounds right now, he can handle a heavy workload game after game for them. Yeah. yeah, he is small. That is like the first thing that pops off for me is like, man, this this dude is not very big, but you're right. He is handling the workload. So my other complaint that I, and I, I just watched like two games yesterday to try to, you know, get enough information to talk about him. I wish that he were used more in the passing game like Christian McCaffrey was because he's just not, you know, really featured as a receiver. And that's such a huge part of the NFL now of, if you're going to be a featured back, you have to be a threat as a receiver out of the backfield. So it's one of those things like I I put in my notes. I, I'm not saying he can't do it. I just don't know if he can either. You know, so it's like you you hope there's an opportunity to see that. I and mean, he is a true junior, so there's no guarantee that he enters this year's draft. But at the the rate that he's going, man, you have to think that um, there's going to be some interest. I, I and I'm I'm excited to jump in and see him more. But what have you seen? Um, to or, or where do you feel like he's at right now? Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out as well because the problem here's the kicker with Bryce Love: great production. There's no doubt about that. He he's in the perfect spot to produce, and he's doing it. He's averaging over 10 yards a carry. And last year he made the most of his touches too, when he averaged seven yards a carry and nearly had 800 yards on just a little over 100 attempts. But when you look at him, you do wonder, Matt, like he's under 200 pounds and they're not using him as a receiver. So now can he bulk up? Yeah, he could probably get to 205, 210, you know, and and be kind of that, uh, I guess, change of pace more. I don't want to say third down back, but, you know, a guy that splits carries and can be effective in a backfield. Where does a guy go in, in this class that's built like that? Because you you have so much talent available to you with these running backs. Like, yeah. is this a guy that can find his way into day two? Because 
Guess what? Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis, Ronald Jones, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, Royce Freeman. The list goes on. I could keep going. Rashad Penny. Just to name. This is naming a couple. Yeah. There's so many guys that are probably going to be drafted ahead of him. Now that doesn't mean it's the right decision. Decision. I'm with you that I want to see more. And I think you make a great point. Figuring out what kind of receiver he is is so important because, and this isn't to compare him to these level of prospects, but like a guy like Melvin Gordon coming out, we were like, man. He doesn't do anything as a receiver. His last year at Wisconsin, he had 19 catches. Before that, he had three in his career in college. Now it feels like every week he's catching six to seven passes for good chunk yardage for the Chargers. So you just never know. That all comes into the workouts, and you see it at the combine. You see how they test. I think with Bryce Love, so much of his draft stock, depend if and that's if he declares. He is a junior is on the combine because it not just the 40 but what kind of athlete is he is it is he a guy factoring and producing in a Stanford system or is he a guy that's making plays of his own I've seen a little bit of both from him so I'd love to see the testing numbers to really figure out how to project him to the next level yeah I'm with you and one guy that you mentioned there Darius Geis at LSU who's been dealing with a knee injury this year I have actually been told twice now in the last week that it's not a sure thing he'll declare which I think everyone That's just expected that he will, but I, I and I, I really trust these. My, my LSU sources have always been really, really solid and, and good to me, and they're not sure that he'll declare because it, he loves football and like loves college football and loves his teammates was kind of the reasoning I was given. So, and because he's been hurt this year and and hasn't really been a hundred percent, I I think there's I, I would just say there's a chance that he goes back to school, which. I know a lot of people didn't expect um, just because of, you know, the running back position. Usually if you have a good year, you're gone. So he's someone to keep an eye on is maybe returning to school. Um, and this running back class will be very interesting, um, regardless of if those two guys are involved. Like you said, you know, I really love Saquon Barkley. He's the top ranked player for me in this class. Geis is obviously up there. Ronald Jones at USC is up there. Damian Harris at Alabama is the guy I want to talk about next. Like I said, I put out a new big board on Monday. He debuted this week. I finally got a chance to watch him. I put him in the first round, dude. Um, he's he's powerful. He's fast. I I like his vision, and I know the Alabama offensive line is really good, and you know they opened some big holes. But I like his cutback vision, which like shows me that he has some instincts, um, that he's able to make plays in space. I know Bo Scarborough gets a lot of the hype because he, you know, he looks like Hercules playing football. I think Damian Harris is the, really the dude to watch there and has a, a shot to be, especially if Geist doesn't come out, I would think he has to be a lock as a first-round pick. Yeah, it's really interesting because this is someone over summer that just got overshadowed, like you said. Everyone talked about Bo Scarborough and obviously Najee Harris coming in as a true freshman to Alabama. And you kind of look at Damian Harris, and he just fell under the radar, but he's been so good for them in his own way. I do like that you're, you're going out there and saying, listen, this isn't just a player excelling in Alabama system. This is a guy that can be a first-round talent. He's been really impressive, and you know they just ask him to do so many different things. I mean, this is a guy that's literally blocked a punt this year like that's the yeah. you know just the, this the he'll go and do whatever he needs to be done so uh, it, he should leave obviously and I, I think that um it he's found his way into a running back class that it would have been really hard over summer to say hey Har- Damian Harris could be a top five running back drafting in this group but now it seems like it's a legit possibility yeah and it's cool that he, I one thing I I really like about him is he doesn't have that traditional Alabama wear and tear because they've been doing this running back by committee thing. So like you said, he does get used in a lot of different ways, but he's not been overused. You know, it's not like how when when Derrick Henry came out and, you know, he had like 100 rushes in the last three games or something, you know, he was just they had really rode him all the way. And maybe that happens with Damian Harris eventually. But uh, when I when I started watching him last week at that time, he had like 50 carries, I think, on the year. So it, it's a smaller sample size than someone like Bryce Love, who, you know, you just said he has like 1,400 yards in seven games. I really like the way that that Nick Saban kind of hands out carries for the running backs. And so you have someone like Damian Harris who, you know, it, it is a smaller sample size, which can be dangerous. But I I feel like what he is showing is enough to have like a, a pretty good feel for. And, and hopefully, you know, we get through this process and find out that, you know, yeah, he was just sharing courage because they had so many good running backs, not that there's anything that he's deficient in. 
but I am I'm pretty excited for the the running back class. Um, you know, another thing before I I know you want to rant hard about your New York Jets, so we're gonna do that soon, very soon, or about the refs, not your Jets. Yeah. <laughs> but before we before we take our first break, before we fix the Jets, um, as a Texas fan, uh, I'm gonna be a homer this week and say that even though uh, we lost to Oklahoma on Saturday. I don't. I hate moral victories, but it felt like one. Like to be that close with Oklahoma, uh, you know, premier team. And I, I know they lost to Iowa State, but Oklahoma is one. Of, I, I still think one of the five best teams in the country. Like they, they are just they're well coached. They're solid offensively, defensively. I, I'm actually encouraged about the future of Texas now, and that is primarily because of Sam Ellinger at quarterback, number eleven. It, it's it's cool because you go down there to watch Baker Mayfield. And you end up seeing a guy who is so similar to him, you know, and just the the toughness and the poise and the leadership and the the like the football IQ of this kid who's barely 19 years old is just off the charts. Like the way he handles clock management or having the wherewithal to see his running back get bogged down at like the one yard line and to push him in. And he does that like every week now. So I, I just think. You know, like, and and he's a freshman, so we're not talking about the guy as a draft prospect yet. We'll do that in a couple of years. But just as a college football player, to see that kind of poise is is really it's, it's really exciting. I guess is the only word for it. So that's my like me establishing and professing my man crush on Sam Ellinger, uh, and, and I'm I'm pretty excited about the next you know hopefully the next three years of Texas football with him, just because. He he has a chance to be one of those, you know, like Baker Mayfield type guys where you just you, the whole team believes in him and you can see like weekly that he makes a difference just when he's on the field. He's so impressive. I mean, just his build at his age, he's 230 pounds and just the way he carries that offense, especially in big spots. He doesn't seem rattled, even though, you know, he's obviously a freshman to be doing that kind of thing. I wish we got to see him in Baker Mayfield play against each other one more time because they're both from uh from austin yeah and they went to rival rival high schools and they're both you know obviously different physical makeups but like the same style of player where like they have that different edge to them where you always feel confident that they can lead the team down the field and they do the little things right so i mean it's a lot of fun and it's really big for texas because they needed a guy to rally around like this and it, it seems like they truly got one because it wasn't just this game i feel like he's done this for most of this year yeah, he just like the USC game, the Texas game, or the the Oklahoma game. He just kind of continues to to make these big plays. So, all right, that's my being a homer rant for the week. I was driving home from Dallas on Sunday and didn't get to watch any NFL games until the the night game. But I saw everyone lose their shit on Twitter over this Jets Patriots play. So let the players can't go at the refs because they're going to get fined, but you can. So let's hear it. Yeah. It's so frustrating because, and it's hard for me to rant about this because people are going to be like, well, you're biased because you, you grew up a Jets fan. But the NFL has a consistency issue, and that's the problem at hand here. Whether you agree with the call or not on the Austin Safarian Jenkins touchback fumble, you know, called back touchdown, the issue at hand is the NFL constantly preaches having substantial conclusive evidence, yet they overturned this without any. The original call on the field was a touchdown. Then at the end of the game, the NFL replay office claims that they have no other angles than what the fans saw on TV. There were no angles with conclusive evidence. The one angle they showed where you could see the football, Sferian Jenkins hits the pylon with control of the football and his knee down at the one-yard line. So which is it? Was he down at the one or did he hit the pylon with control of the football? And somehow the replay office comes away with that it's a fumble touchback. Now, this might be a rule issue, you know, on the NFL. It's not, it's not an officiating issue at hand. There were officiating issues in this game, whether it was the, pass inter- the phantom pass interference on Jamal Adams, but then they don't call it on a much worse interference that was Darren Lee covering Gronk, both covering Gronk. It all comes down to, at the end of the day, there is no consistency in the officiating and rulings of NFL games. And it's hurting the product. Because I don't. it doesn't matter one way if the Jets or Patriots won, in, in my eyes of this. It matters that at the end of the game, we didn't get to see Tom Brady trying to march down the field to win the game. Or we didn't get to see a young, hungry Jets defense try to stop him for first place in the AFC East. 
Instead, we got Josh McCown desperately with no time left trying to push the ball down the field because of an awful called back touchdown. And it just doesn't make any sense. And there's no fair explanation of it. And then you, they interviewed the players yesterday and Josh McCown says, I still don't understand it. And that's a problem. If your players don't understand the rulings on the field, you clearly have a big issue because you need to let the players play and the coaches need, need to be able to coach. And neither of them can do that when they don't understand these rulings on the field. And be, the root of it is there's no consistency in football with it. Yep. It's just, it's awful. And we see it in college too with the targeting rule. And I think the targeting rule in, in all in all is good. But I think once again, the lack of consistency in it is infuriating for fans, coaches, players. And at some point, you need to improve upon that. You have a replay office for a reason. I just don't, I can't understand this. It's completely botched. There's no excuses for it. I know the excuse has been, well, that's the rule. But the point of it is, it's called a touchdown on the field, and I don't see the evidence to overturn that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like what you really said there, the lack of consistency is, is what kills me. Whether it's something like the ASJ play or just, what is a catch? You know, and they have all these rules experts like Mike Pereira comes on TV and he's like, yeah, I don't know if that's a catch. Like, that's ridiculous. Like the, the guys who like come up with the rules don't know what is and isn't a catch. So I, I know a lot of people like hypothesize about what is hurting the NFL. I really feel like the that when the average fan doesn't know if it plays a touchdown or not or a catch or not, that hurts the product. Um, and, and gosh, I know I, I feel so bad for Jets fans because. No one in the world expects you to beat the Patriots. And then you're like in there, you're hanging with them. And to lose on a play that's just kind of really just bullshit. Like you're not losing because Tom Brady beat you. You're losing because of bad officiating. That that sucks. Uh, let's move on real quick. Our college player to know. Mine this week is a guy I did get to see last week in live. Mark Andrews, the tight end for Oklahoma. We're going to have a spotlight video out about him a little bit later this week that y'all could check out and get to see what he looks like. But man, I, I do like the kid. Great route runner. Um, he has speed in the open field. I'll be interested to see how he tests, but just in pads, like when there are defenders running at him, he definitely looks the part and is just always open somehow. So he is right now my top ranked tight end. I don't think it's a great tight end class, not anything like what last year was, um, but but a guy who could probably get into the top 40 picks, I would think, uh, when April gets here. Yeah, he's fun to watch. And me and you talked about him this weekend to do the spotlight video, which is officially out on Bleacher Report. Nice. It's I, I like that you compared, you know, his open field running to Travis Kelsey. He's a big body that catches the ball, but then he he looks to pit he's a yak king. He just makes he makes guys miss. When you're that big and you can make guys miss, it's it's really impressive. I went with uh Will Hernandez, who it feels like he's been at UTEP forever on their interior line just a stalwart he started over 40 games now in his career for them obviously he, he will be in the draft he's a senior uh Hernandez is such an interesting player because I get a little Jamie Collins feel here where he's on such an awful team UTEP has not won a game this year they're 0-7 yeah. that people miss how great of a player he is on their interior line but all you need to know is this if you went back and or if you watched Aaron Jones last year Look at the left guard that's paving the lanes for him. That's Will Hernandez. He's going to be a top 75 pick in this draft. I'm really impressed with him, not only as a run blocker, but as a pass protector. And it's, you know, these interior, we only heard really about Quentin Nelson, but it's it's time to get Hernandez in the mix there. Nice. I like it. Awesome. Let's take uh, our first break and we'll come back. And uh, for the, the hardest thing we've ever done on this podcast, we're going to fix the Cleveland Browns. Woo! Welcome back to episode 28 of Stick to Football. We have a very tough task ahead of us, Matt, as this week we are going to fix the Cleveland Browns. Last week we fixed the uh, San Francisco 49ers, so if you missed that, go back and listen to last week's show. We're going to try to be fixing some of the you know the worst teams in the NFL over the next couple of weeks. This is a big one, Matt, because not only, unlike the 49ers, where they have Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in place, who I think both will be very successful, we might have to burn this whole thing down yet again. Yeah, we, we do. And gosh, I wish we could give the Browns a new owner while we're at it. <laughs> because I, I think a lot of the problems start with, with Jimmy Haslam and 
his inability to just stick with something. You know, I, I don't know if there's people in his ear telling him to do, you know, different things or what, but the Browns really do need to just, they need an owner who will, you know, for better or worse, just say, this is what we're going to do. And if we're going to suck for four years, we're going to suck for four years, but we're going to, we're going to try this. And when you look at this roster and you look at the draft history and you look at the depth chart, there's, there's stuff to work with. And the problem is where they have drafted a lot of guys, quarterback, corner, wide receiver, they've yet to hit. So when I looked at this team last night, I was like, okay, where do I start? If I'm, if the Browns called me next week and said, Hey, we want you to come fix this team. You know, it does, it does start with coaching. I'll say this, this year's group of coaching candidates is not as good as last year's. There's no Kyle Shanahan. There's no Sean McVay. There's not even a, I don't know if there's a Doug Marone in this group. You know, <laughs> I, 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 looking at the top coaching candidates, I was like, okay, I like Mike Vrabel. It might be a year early, but you, you might have to go get someone a year early rather than a year late. Uh, I like Dave Taub, the special teams coordinator of the Chiefs, but I think that might be a hard sell in Cleveland to to get someone who's not an offensive or defensive genius. Um, I got something good for you that I want to interrupt you with. Do it. Who's the one coach right now that surprisingly could become available? If you had to pick one, this uh, is like Sean a shot Payton. in the dark. Sean Payton. Sean Payton. Interesting. That'd be, I mean, I don't know if he'd want to go there. Yeah, I don't know. But. I mean, you would have to you know, give a lot of money and or control. He would, I think he is someone that people would be excited about, you know, as a, you know, someone who develops quarterbacks, can build a good offense. Um, you know, the Saints haven't had a ton of success lately with him, but I, I think some of that's a disconnect, you know, with, with the front office and the coaching staff. So all that to say, the head coaching candidates, I don't feel like will be great this year. So once you fi- figure that out, let's say... If it were me, if I were hired, I would try to hire Mike Vrabel just because I think you have to build a culture there. And I do think that he understands the culture there. He's from Ohio. He coached Ohio State for a little bit. He gets young players. And the Browns are the youngest team in the NFL. So I would want someone who could come in and build a culture because that's your head coach is a CEO. So that's what he needs to do. Now, fixing the quarterback position, you could assume you're going to have the first pick in the draft, right? So you have your pick. Do you want Sam Darnold? Eh, I don't love that arm strength in Cleveland. Um, Josh Allen is too raw. I think he needs to, a situation like Pat Mahomes where he could sit for a year or two behind an established veteran. So I don't like Josh Allen here. Uh, Josh Rosen, uh, I, I don't, I just don't like that fit. You could, I mean, you could try to like trade for Alex Smith, but he would probably not be cool with that. Right. Um, so here's what I would do. And I'm excited to hear what you think. I would go after Tyrod Taylor. I would. I think he would be the guy I would be targeting on the free agent market. I don't that, know why the Bills don't like him. I and I've heard that for a couple of years now, but I, I do think there's a chance he's going to be available. Uh, I would go get Tyrod Taylor, and I I know he's not great, but he's a very good bridge quarterback. Like as a starter, he could be a top twenty starter for a couple of years, especially uh, in an offense where you know if you let him move around, um, let him do some things outside the pocket. So. And that's, you know, that's where a lot of the offenses are going now with these young quarterbacks. So I would go after Tyrod Taylor, use the first pick in the draft. If you could trade back to like three or four, you know, let a team like San Francisco or the Jets come up and get a quarterback, use the third or fourth pick on Saquon Barkley. And now you have Tyrod Taylor and Saquon Barkley in the backfield behind a good offensive line. Like you're, you're ahead. You're starting to get ahead. And then you have Houston's pick in the first round which is probably going to be, let's just say it'll be around 15 be because some of the injuries on defense, uh, I, I would think they probably finish right around there. You can go get uh, another defender because I, I do think they have some weaknesses in the secondary, um, especially at corner. At pick 15, you could get Denzel Ward from Ohio State. So now I have a feisty physical corner who's going to help change the culture of this team because you got a kid who's never, he doesn't even know how to lose. So you put him on, on that team with Miles Garrett, and Emmanuel Ogba and Christian Kirksey, like really good young players. I would be pretty damn excited uh, as a Browns fan. And I mentioned receiver. The the wide receiver class in free agency, I think is going to be good. The Browns are going to have money to spend. Go after someone like an Alshon Jeffrey, who is probably going to want a payday after taking a one-year deal in Philadelphia. Go after someone like that. Uh, throw some money at him uh, on a four-year deal. And now you have a big physical receiver, which is what Tyrod Taylor needs 
you have a great running back in Saquon Barkley. You have a, a great potential tight end in David Njoku. And you have some guys on defense that you can build around. So I know that that's just like the, what I would do in the first round and a little bit of free agency fixing this team. But the Browns are incredibly young. They have very few free agents of their own next year. It's like the, the foundation that's in place isn't awful. I think a lot of the guys who are starting right now need competition so that we can see if they're actually good or if they're just starting on a bad team. But I would look at this, man, like I think in three years, if you get the quarterback, if you get Tyrod Taylor and and then, you know, draft someone like Baker Mayfield in the third round as a, a developmental guy, I, I think you could get this team competitive within three years. I really like it. And I like the most, the biggest thing I liked out of your plan was the quarterback plan. Not the, if you bring in a new front office and, and fans don't want to hear this, a new staff, they have the freedom and the time and flexibility to not panic and take a quarterback this year. You don't have to do that. And with the way this class is looking, and if you're the Browns right now, maybe you do want to wait. And I think Tyrod is number one, probably the most underrated guy that'll probably be in free agency. I know all the talk will serve. You know, circle around Kirk Cousins, probably going to San Francisco. Obviously, Alex Smith will probably see the market, whether it's trade or free agency. Tyrod is a guy there that fits so well. Now, I'll tell you the one thing I would change in your plan. At receiver, I would sign Jarvis Landry for this team yeah, if I, like I sign Tyrod. Because now, I love that Alshon can go up and win the ball. I mean, I have no... If that's... It's, go get both of them. You have a, so much money... And you bring in Tyrod, maybe a receiver actually actually want to go there that's not named Kenny Britt or Dwayne <laughs> Bowe. So if you pair Corey Coleman's healthy, you get a little vertical speed there. You get Jarvis Landry for things, everything underneath with Tyrod Taylor, a quarterback. You keep the offensive line in place. You ha- I, Duke Johnson, I mean, feed him. Feed yeah. him the Man, football. Such a player. If your running backs are Saquon Barkley and Duke Johnson, put them both on the field together. Oh, I think yeah. you know a big a big whiff with this team was Jabril Peppers at twenty five, because it, the outlook would be so different if they stayed put and took a Deshaun Watson instead. But you can't cry over spilled milk. It, the Browns need to move on and realize that they failed Hugh Jackson, but from a culture standpoint, they probably have to blow this thing up. Yeah. And that probably un- that unfortunately includes Hugh Jackson, who has now gotten the short end of the stick most likely twice when you look at how he went out in Oakland after an 8-8 eight, eight season. You're looking at how it's probably going to end here in Cleveland because I you can never convince me that Deshaun Kaiser was his guy at all. I mean, you heard the rumors this week that he told Deshaun Watson, be ready. There is a disconnect in the front office with the coaching staff. And when there's a disconnect, I've seen it before with John Idzik and Rex Ryan, it doesn't work. It fails, and everyone has to go because you have to bring them in together, and there has to be chemistry, and there has to be direction and a plan written out, a blueprint in place. So you're right. The Browns need to clean house. They're lucky that the new front office will have some cornerstone pieces to work with. Miles Garrett is a freak. And at the end of the day, they need to have a monster offseason because at some point, Cleveland, I mean, it really already is, you know, a complete black cloud over there, but you need somebody that will turn things around and be able to bring in free agents to go there without paying them 50 times their worth. It's going to be crazy, right? But I, I it is think, I, like it, what the Jets did with drafting Jamal Adams and Marcus May. I know a lot of people didn't like going back to back safety, but they, they, they're starting to change the culture there of a team that minus a year or two has been a loser. So, now you have like you're getting young guys in who, like I said, they just don't know how to lose. And that's an infectious attitude. And the Jets have no business on paper competing with the New England Patriots. And they're right there. Like, so I, I, I look at Cleveland and I like what the Jets did worked. And I know it's it's early in the rebuild to say, like, oh, let let's, you know, mirror that. But I, I think there's some things you could take away from that. Now, like the like the Browns, the Jets have to figure it out at quarterback, but they have at least brought in a good bridge guy in Josh McCown who can remain competitive while they figure it out. And in, in the NFL, you got to be competitive or you get fired. So I, I do think there are some elements of that that you can take and say, okay, this will work. Like a very underrated offensive line that they didn't spend a ton of money on the Jets. 
And so for Cleveland, like you look at this, it's a really young defense that you're not spending a lot of money on. So right now you can spend that money on offense to go get Jarvis Landry or Alshon Jeffrey. And and then in four years, when you have Pitt Miles Garrett, you worry about, you know, you you change it and shift to, okay, we're we're going to be more of a defensive-minded team. But if I were in the AFC North, though, I think you sell yourself by saying, we're going to play great defense. We're going to be the guys that nobody wants to play. We're going to hit. Like we're going to be disciplined, and on offense, we're going to run the ball, and not turn it over. And I, I, I don't think Hugh Jackson's the guy to do that. So I, I think it, like you said, it is time to start over. Now, here's my biggest question to close out fixing the Browns. If you're the new front office and it's draft weekend, and you get an offer for Joe Thomas, that's a second round pick that falls in the top fifty. Do you take it? Ooh, I. Now I here's the kicker. One side of it is you want to protect whether it's a young quarterback that you're investing in or a free agent investment like Tyrod Taylor, and you kind of want to go the Jets route from 2015 where they went out and won 10 games. Mike McCagnan won exec of the year. They really bought a football team to fix an awful roster. They were inherited. Or do you just completely bottom out, trade Joe Thomas while you have value? Because you're probably not getting anything if you don't take that offer then and there. And, you know, recoup, you know, get an early two. That's a tough decision. And they're probably going to have to make that one at some point. It is tough because I just looked it up. He'll be 33 this December. So, yeah. And you look at, there's, there'll be some value when you look at what Andrew Whitworth did for Jared Goff this year. There are teams that will, you know, put that offer out there, I think. You know what? I would, I know that this is like a, it's more about the culture than it is about the product on the field. I would keep Joe Thomas and let him retire a Brown just to show the young players that you care about. You care about the players. Like, hey, we care about this guy. Like, he's a Hall of Famer. And, you know, yeah, he would probably like to be on a winning team, but like, we love Joe Thomas and he's going to retire a Brown because, like, we take care of our people. So I would keep him not only because he's probably still the best left tackle in football and, and could ideally play at that level for another two or three years than trading him for a top 50 pick that, Especially in this year's draft, which I don't really like that much. It's a great point. I, I would, it's a lot I would of ticket. Him. Yeah, it's a there lot would have to be somebody it. on the board that you're dying to have to pull that move. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's like a predetermined like before draft weekend move. I think that's like a man. You know, so and so's on the clock at forty, and we really want this guy. That it would have to be one of those situations to really do it. Yeah, it, and I love Joe Thomas so. I, I, I think he's one of those guys you can build around, you know, still, you know, like you said, look what Andrew Whitworth, look at his value for the Rams this year. It's been enormous. So, um, yeah, he's, he's God, they are going to have a tough decision. And that just goes to show like we could sit in an armchair quarterback, this stuff, but when a team calls and says, what's going to take to get Joe Thomas, you know, oh. it's like, well, <laughs> you have a plan. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo and a first rounder. Like that's what it's going to take. <laughs> so, uh, all right, man. That uh, the Browns are fixed, so you're welcome. And who are we fixing next week? I, we I think get somebody week, in there. I think the New York Giants. Yeah, I would say the Giants. I know they got to win this week, uh, but I think I think it's time to fix the Giants. And I, burn I it we down. Both, we both have a burn. similar plan, and I know, <laughs> burn it down. Yeah. Oh, burn I, it and down. I know everyone like all our you know audio guys in New York. It seems like they're all Giants fans. So I'm sure the control room uh, behind you right they now work. is pretty excited. They worked for them, so there's some ties there. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to, you know, make it happen next week. We will fix the New York Giants. Yeah. We are going to take a break, and then we will have Kennedy on to read us our draft on draft questions of the week. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final moments of Stick to Football 28. We like to call it Draft on Draft. Our awesome intern, Kennedy, uh, who just happens to be a sucky Oklahoma fan, is going to ask us your <laughs> questions of the week. I'm not bitter at all, by oh, the yeah, way. Not bitter at all, right? I was Boomer so glad sooner, that baby. I didn't have cell That's phone right, service. And I, I wasn't getting all your text until after the game. Um, which is a good thing. Although I got to see your like wave of emotion, you know, of like there was way, there was way too much going on. I honestly think I lost 10 years of my life watching that. You were like, Oh, we're kicking your ass. Oh my God. No, we're not. Oh wait, here we come. And then I thought Baker was done at one point. I was like, okay, this is it. We're done. We lost the game. 
It was a lot of emotions going on. I'm now 31, everyone. Yeah. I'm not 21 Ooh, anymore. Man, that's a brutal uh, jump. Yeah, you can now rent a car. Uh, Kennedy, if you had to marry Baker Mayfield or Sam Ellinger, who would you pick? Oh, Baker. <laughs> Easy. Really? You guys are like the same height. I don't know how that works. That's uh, true. We, we are yeah. the same height. That's... <laughs> yeah, he might be shorter. <laughs> All right. What questions you got for us? <laughs> okay. Stillwater87 on iTunes wants to know, who are the assistant or college coaches in general that you see getting a look at head coaching jobs in the NFL next offseason? Oh, you know, we kind of talked about this earlier yep. in the show is that we don't see any great coaching candidates next year, unfortunately. Um, you know, of the assistants like Terrell Austin, the defensive coordinator in, in Detroit, will get some looks. Dave Taub, the special teams coordinator in Kansas City, will. Um, I think Mike Vrabel will probably get some calls. Jeez. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty bad list. As far as, co- as, far as college goes, if I were going to go after a college guy, it would be Chris Peterson at Washington. And I know they lost last week. But just his ability to build yes. everywhere he's been is hard to overlook. Yeah, program builder. I, I love that about him, too. And I feel like he do, he's just does really well with his players. And that's an important aspect when you make that pro-level jump. I do think this is the year Terrell Austin probably gets a jo- uh, head coaching job, though, because he's been interviewing for a while. And another thing is, too, I, I wouldn't be shocked of one of two things with Hugh Jackson. Maybe Hugh Jackson gets a shot somewhere else because everyone realizes what a dumpster fire working in Cleveland was for him. Or, you know, maybe yeah. he goes back and fixes Cincinnati. That would be and it's a really that's yeah. very likely. Yeah, right. What's telling is neither of us mentioned the Patriots coordinators. Yeah, Josh McDaniels is a year where people are Yeah. Like they've they've not been great. And I know that last year they were Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia were the guys everyone was like, Oh, we we gotta get these guys. I, I think now we're seeing that you know, the Patriots are struggling. Let's just there's no way around it. So I know the personnel is not great this year, but I, I'm curious to see how that affects both guys when it comes time to if they even want to leave New England. I think both have had opportunities and haven't done it yet. But it's it it will be it's gonna be telling to see if Josh McDaniel's name really gets pushed back out there again this year after he you know for I mean really didn't I don't think he was that aggressive about getting a job last year. You know who I wish would make the jump is Bob Stoops. I mean, he Ugh. says he's done, but that would be awesome. That would Define be awesome. It would be. Because, <laughs> yeah, I know there was there was always interest there. You know, and even when he retired from OU, a lot of people thought like, okay, well, here, you know, he's going to take the year to get ready and go to the NFL. So it's not it's not the craziest thing that could ever happen. And then, of course, the Harbaugh rumors will swell back up as if Michigan loses another game. So that's always a really yeah, good time, especially with what's going on in Indianapolis. It'd be very interesting. Or with the Bears. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really Go good one, Kennedy. Bears. That's a really good one, Kennedy, uh, to kick us off here. Uh, what else you got for us? Okay. Anthony Mongo, our favorite person. Yes. He asked, how does Hunter Renfro project at the next level? Oh, man. Um, I, I saw him live early in the season, and he has great hands. I I don't have a grade on him. I'm, I'm like scanning through my notes right now because I don't have all these guys memorized. Uh but I, I would have said probably like a mid-round guy. I have no idea how well he's going to run. Um, and I know he's, you know, he was like a, you know, 150-pound walk-on not that long ago. But I think there's definitely a spot for him uh, in the NFL. Matt, you know who he reminds me of, actually? He reminds me of a smaller version of Jermaine Curse. They just catch. Oh, yeah. They catch everything. And they just know how to get open and you look at them and you're like, yeah, he's an okay, like number three. And then they always overachieve beyond that mark. Now curse is six one and has a thicker frame. I think Renfro, you know, Renfro is probably like five, nine and really needs to bulk up a little bit. But in terms of play style, I see a similar player. And I, I do think Renfro would definitely get drafted at least. You know what? I really thought you were going to say, don't say Wayne Julian Kermit. Edelman. Oh God. No, Julian Edelman, because Renfro was a high school quarterback. Uh, oh, Edelman was a college quarterback. He's he's gonna I get. I really the, expected you to go there. He's gonna get the Cole Beasley, Amendola, Edelman, Corbett, y- you know, treatment. But yeah. let's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ryan T two hundred seven on iTunes asked, "You can pick any player in history. Last play, throwing a fade to corner to win the Super Bowl. Matt picks the receiver. Connor picks corner. Oh, love that. Good stuff, Ryan. Oh." Damn. All Any right. player in history. Matt, who you tr- I'm making you pick who you're trotting out there first, and then I'll throw the corner out there. It, because it's a fade route, I'm going to take Randy Moss. 
Oh. Best jump ball receiver in NFL history. Ah, uh, that's a great pick. I'm taking Terrell Revis. Wow, such a homer wow. pick. But uh, it would either be him. oh man, that's tough. I'm not taking Dion in that situation. No, I mean, come on, no. come on. He would now Revis and the reason I take Revis is because him and Moss had like the best matchups for a long time in that division. I'm trying to think of yeah, physically. He's not the tallest guy. He yeah, was, his technique was always so good underneath. Yes, and at the line, like he would have a shot to to knock it out, and yeah, to jam at the line. Yeah, I don't know. I'm That'd trying to think matchup. of physically because the, the reason I that just comes to mind because we've seen it. I'm trying to think of like physically who I would take. I think Sherman's been so good in that situation. Not to have a recency bias, but I just think Sherman's been so impressive in that exact situation because he's so smart and way bigger and more physical. I think than Revis is. So I mean, Revis was very physical about, for his size. But what about Charles Woodson? Woodson has size. Yeah, Woodson's a really good pick too, just because you put him in that situation, he could match up. It's tough. It's it's so hard to pick a corner to go against Randy Moss in the red zone. <laughs> so I gave yeah, you, I, I gave I you got three. To pick the receiver. Yeah, I gave you three. <laughs> okay, Jake from State Farm on Twitter asked, "What two teams <laughs> in the bottom third of the NFL currently could be playoff contenders in the next two to three years?" Ooh, 49ers. Ugh. Yeah, I'm glad you said it, not me. Yeah, I had to because I didn't want to put you in that spot. But keeping it real, man, I thought a while ago my answer to this question would have been the Rams, but they already made themselves contenders. It's amazing how fast they've turned yeah. it around with McVay. The Niners right now have the coaching, they have the vision, and they have some pieces. They need the personnel. And they'll have the ammo to get that personnel in free agency in the draft. And in two years, if they're not a playoff contender, I'd be shocked. You know what? Two teams that I'm surprised are are down so low this year: the Tennessee Titans and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, I, and I think both teams have the the tools to be playoff contenders soon. It's you know they're they're sitting there at you know the the Bucks are two and three, the Titans are three and three, um, and, and uh, I would throw the Cowboys in there too. They're two and three. I know they just made the playoffs last year, but they're kind of going through a you know a, still kind of feels like a rebuild, especially on defense. So, but I I would look at you know I love what the Texans are doing. I think the Bears could be very good again quickly if they can get some weapons at receiver. Um, I do like the defense there um, quite a bit, and I'm a huge Trubisky fan, as you guys all know. So I, I could see the Bears getting it turned around pretty quickly. Okay, Ed Elfman asked, which college players will benefit the most by changing positions at the next level? Ooh, that's a really tough question. Man. Oh, uh yeah, that's on the spot. That's kind of tough. So I, here's one that I actually I ranked guys this way, and so people got mad at me. Um, they're offensive linemen, so it's not I'm not it's not like saying Lamar Jackson should play wide receiver or anything. But uh, Martinez Rankin from Mississippi State plays tackle. I actually like him best at center, and then Martez Ivy at Florida. I've been ranking him at guard. I know some people say he could play tackle, but it's kind of like a couple years ago with Cody Whitehair played left tackle at K State. Some people ranked him at guard. I ranked him at center. Um, it, it, so it's not a drastic move, but things like that I think can help guys out. You know, like Minka Fitzpatrick for Alabama already made that move to safety. I definitely would have recommended that he make that move because I, I think he's a better player there than he was at corner. Um, so those are like subtle guys who are going to change positions. I don't see anyone right now where it's like. What do we do with Jalen Samuels? Oh, oh man. Right. Yeah, that's know. my that's the one I wonder. I don't have the answer yet. I, can he be like Delaney Walker? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, he's I don't not know, built man. like him. Yeah. No, he's so he's such a good pass catcher. Um, He's just too small to be. Yeah. It's under you know, he's a lot smaller than Delaney Walker. So I don't know. I don't know if he's like a, a what. A, I don't know. He's not like you check like he's he's not a true fullback. So he's he's just going to have to be like a utility guy, I think. Yeah, and it'll work. I'm excited to watch him play. It's a good question. That's a hard question. Yeah, that's really hard. Eric Brown on Twitter asked, is Luke Falk a logical successor for Breeze in New Orleans in the second round? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I I'm, I'm, say that. I'm, all, I'm all the way out on that. Uh, I don't think Falk is a second-round player, and I don't think he's a starting quarterback, and I don't Agreed. think that's the direction the Saints should go in. So, Sorry to shoot down all hopes and dreams there, but I'm just keeping it real with you. I could see that happening though. I really could just because if, if Sean Payton stays, 
I could see them trying to like, you know, stick with what worked. I'm with you. I don't like it a lot. I would rather have Mason Rudolph or Baker. Oh, easily. Um, Baker. Yeah. <laughs> but I I see where he's going. You know, like, oh well, you know, Breeze is, you know, short, short area accuracy guy. Um God, Falk. Touch throws. Yeah, yeah, Falk just doesn't push the ball down the field enough for me with that offense. So I Yeah, I like, think it was I a love that fit. Yeah, I think it was a good question because, like, it, at first glance, it makes sense. But I think when you really dial it down, it just comes out to that Falk isn't a starting caliber quarterback, you know, and not nearly obviously the level of Breeze. Although you can't expect that, but yeah, just I just don't think it adds up in the second round. Miles Jamison on Twitter asked, "What players in the past that you've been high on have failed because of scheme or coaching?" Hmm. Who who do I get to throw under the bus here? Right and blame. I, I, I really think that's a hard question because we don't know a lot of the time. So uh, Jared Goff fa- failed miserably under yeah, first the year. Jeff Fisher yeah. staff, and now looks great under McVay because that's the exactly the player that me and that's the player me and Matt expected him to be, and now it's all coming out. So I think that's the most recent example. Yeah, I think Melvin Ingram is another one um, because just Ooh, the way he was yeah. used early on um, with the Chargers wasn't great, and then. It was like, you know, put him in a role where he can be a stand-up pass rusher and he looks like Von Miller. So I, I think and I wasn't I wasn't like super high on Melvin Ingram, but I was pretty high on him. Um I had him twelfth overall in that draft in 2012, which was a pretty good year. Um but I, I that was one where I was kind of worried early on, like, gosh, did I miss on this guy? But he's oh my god, he's playing great right now. Okay, last hard question of the day from Matt Peters. Between the two that you have mocked to the Eagles, who is your personal pick, Christian Kirk or Ronald Jones? Wow, that's a uh, that's a really good question. I'm thinking of if they can. Oh man, is it's both needs. It's as simple as that. And they're, they're both, both needs. Such be, great fits. I'm going I, they Christian fit, Kirk. That's a really. I love <laughs> the I love him. fit of Kirk. But I like Jones better as a player, which shocked me because over the summer I would have told you the exact opposite by far. But um, they really wanted, I believe, Dalvin Cook last year. Before the draft, that's the rumor that was swirling that they were high on Dalvin Cook. And obviously, you know, they they couldn't get him because of where they were picking. And uh, I think that Ronald Jones would be a really nice consolation for them if they could get him this year. Yeah, I... I mean, I'm. Kennedy's right. Christian Kirk is really exciting. Um, he would add an element to that offense that's missing right now, and they need they just need young receivers. They definitely need speed at the position. But I, I like Ronald Jones there just because of what Doug Peterson needs in his offense. Um, you know, you, you could look back at what Jamal Charles was in Kansas City. Like Connor said, they wanted to get Dalvin Cook. Uh, I, I think they even liked Dalvin Kamara quite a bit. So just getting someone in that mold who, you know, can be a fast outside runner, a receiver out of the backfield. I, I think Jones would be a really, really nice fit there. Well, guys, that's that's it for this week's draft on draft. Nice, good stuff, really Kennedy. Nice. Questions. I know. I, I hate nice you guys with over some Matt. Questions. <laughs> yeah, it's, I like that we don't read them though. It always puts us in the on the spot and gives mm-hmm. us a little more uh, authentic answers there. Yeah, and uh, I I said at the top of the show, Kennedy, I I'm gonna get an OU shirt. Somewhere I don't know where, or I, I, or I'll send you my jersey. Don't worry, you could you could sport all of my OU jerseys. <laughs> You're not I'm, getting out of this one, Matt. I'm terrified <laughs> of how tight that jersey would be on me. Oh, so. it would it would look great on you. I bet, yeah, real form fitting, very flattering. Yeah, very um, flattering. Is it a is it a Baker Mayfield jersey for Matt? Yeah, you know what? We have a lot of WalMarts here, so I'm sure I can find like a, a nice trashy Oklahoma t-shirt. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, well, I think I'll be okay. This video picture, I need to see it soon because... it. I'm going to work on it. I promise. Yeah. Um, it, I, can it go but, on the Stick to Football account? Oh, absolutely. That account is going to get firing soon. I'm gonna, we're going to rev right. it up again. It is going on I, the Stick I, to Football account. I will Love be that. in New York uh, with Connor. All, all weekend and early next week, so um, maybe I can, maybe I could take a uh, uh, an OU shirt with me to to the city. And, I think that's and we a can yes. knock this thing out. So I'll do my best. I'll, I'll, t- I'll do my best to get an OU t shirt before I leave town. So there you go. All right. Um, that's that's uh, that's our show this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Connor, I I've heard a rumor that you secured an awesome guest for us. 
Yes, uh, that's right. Next week we will have on Leonard Fournette. That's awesome. Which is going to be r- really sweet because we've been trying to have Leonard on for a while and he's mowing down everyone in his path like we expected. He's been freaking awesome. So we're going to talk to Fournette. So if you have any questions that you want us to ask him, definitely send them to the Stick to Football account. Send them to Kennedy because she's the, the question master at this point of seeing things that don't always show up in me and Matt's mentions. So send us what you got and we'd love to pass them along. All right, that'll do it. We will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>